0: You're listening to KKUP Cupertino, 91.5 FM, here in the Bay Area and beyond the Bay at kkup.org, where we stream live all the time. Um, It's Wednesday night, 8 p.m. You must be listening to Poetry Radio. This is Out of Our Minds here on KKUP. I'm your host, Rochelle Escamilla, a.k.a. Poetita i've got a really great show for you tonight um i was able to interview actually i was able to go into the house of toy Derricott, one of the most amazing uh american poets she invited me to her apartment along with um my very good friend and fellow uh, colleague from university of Pittsburgh, uh, naomi edwards and we had a really intimate sit down with uh, toy where we read poems to each other and uh And had some interesting conversations. Hopefully you'll enjoy. So I'll be back with the show with Toy Derricot here in a moment. But first I'm going to play some music. I'm going to play you a song called Yo Quiero Trabajar. And it's by La Dame Blanche. And I just want to give a shout out to all the workers out there. uh, Out in Watsonville. I see you out there working in the fields. Picking the strawberries. Running back with the cajas in your hands. All the, man, all you guys working out there. This is for you. a great track uh, that's Yo Quiero Trabajar by La Dame Blanche um, so you're listening to KKUP Cupertino, 91.5. This is the Poetry Radio Show. Uh, tonight's show is special. I've got an interview inside of Toy Derricotte's apartment out in Pittsburgh. Um, Toy Derricotte is an American poet and recently retired from her post at the University of Pittsburgh where she taught writing. Toy won a 2012 Penn Award for Poetry and is, a co-founder, uh, with, as, and is the co-founder with Cornelius Eady of Cave Canem Foundation, a summer workshop for African-American poets. I'm going to read you a little bit of a biography that I picked up from um, Wikipedia because this is really important. Um, having paid her dues as a student in numerous workshops where she endured the canon's litany of dead and near-dead white male poets such as Matthew Arnold, Ezra Pound, T. S. Eliot, and Robert Lowell, often she was the only black student. Derekot first published in a major magazine in New in the New York Quarterly in the fall of 1972. Her literary re- reputation and publications flourished, culminating in her first book, *The Empress of the Death House*, published in 1978 by Lotus Press. Her second book, Natural Birth, was published in 1983 by The Crossings Press. Her third book, Captivity, first published in 1989 by University of Pittsburgh Press, has enjoyed a second 1991 and third 1993 printings. In 1996, Norton Publishing Company accepted for publication Derrickot's The Black Notebooks, a book that she began in 1974 when her family became one of the first black families to move to Upper Montclair, New Jersey. In Derricotte's poetry, the taboo, the restricted, and the repressed figure prominently, they're often the catalysts that prompt her to write, to confess the painful. Often stylistically compared to confessional poets like Sylvia Plath and Anne Sexton, Derricotte is opting for candor over decorum. She wants her work to be a wedge in the world as what is real and not what people want to hear. In 2012, Derricotte was elected the Chancellor of the Academy of American Poets. Um, and I had the privilege of having her as a teacher. She was amazing, and she guided me in a lot of ways. Having herself been one of the first uh, black students in mostly white classrooms, it was easy to talk to her about the struggles that I was having um, in the academy. Um, The other poet in the interview is Naomi Edwards, and Naomi Edwards is a Western Pennsylvania girl, uh, but she is pretty great. She holds degrees from the School of... <laughs> of the Art Institute of Chicago and University of Pittsburgh. That's where I met her at Pitt. We were working together. We were poets in the same um, class, and her poetry appeared in Two Pillow Qu- Quarterly. She lives in Pittsburgh, and uh, she's amazing, amazing poet, amazing writer, and amazing uh, visual artist. So here we go. Uh, this is my interview with Toy Deracott, and uh, Naomi Edwards is in there. And hopefully, you guys enjoy the show.
1: Good to see you. Hi. I'm so- 2011,
2: since we graduated. So that's what, seven years since we
0: graduated? Seven years since we graduated. It's been ten years since we started the program. We started in 2008 during Obama's election.
1: That's right. Girl, time, I just feel like time. It flies. I don't get it. It flies. It's like I have you guys actually out of time. I don't have you in in, In uh, time. You're telling me about Obama and everything. I, it doesn't. It still doesn't make sense to me. I just have you
0: it's out some of other time. space.
1: Yeah, and it's the space for the writers that you know I really loved in the program. That's my baby. You know what you
0: should know about her? She's
2: amazing. She's a nurse now.
0: She went back to
2: school to become a nurse. I did. I still do poetry, but I needed a reliable day to day. Nurse at Presbyterian, just over there, the cardiothoracic unit. I love it. It's a good balance, because I can still work on, you know, my creative stuff, but I have a way to kind of balance it out.
1: And you're in, like, surgery, or, no, you're in...
2: I take care of patients before and after. Um, Usually the patients I have are getting, like, a bypass or a valve replacement or something. Um, And they usually do end up, they end up getting surgery. So we get them before. uh, We get patients with vascular heart failure
1: issues. I like it. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, because, let's face it, the pressure to, to, to get a job teaching and then the security, I mean, it, there's so many issues.
2: I got too frustrated with that process. Um,
1: and one, you know, you wait your whole life to figure it out. No. Get a
2: job. Yeah, I needed that, um, how am I going to pay my rent just taken care of? So, I wanted something secure. These, these colleges and the way they treat adjuncts, there's no security.
0: She was a really inspiration for me because when I was pregnant with my baby, um, well, before I got pregnant with my baby, a lot of things fell apart. I, I kept teaching. I didn't move to China, you know, to start up the creative writing program in China. And then I came back to the US quickly because my mom got sick and my family needed me. So I had to break my contract in China, and I didn't have a job in the US to like come into, so I came back and fell through, of course, as, as people from poverty and stuff usually do, which I'm learning now, years later. But I didn't know how I was gonna make money. I didn't know how I was gonna survive, because I couldn't do community college anymore. It's just not it, not possible. You can't write. You can't be a writer and be a community college teacher and so mm-hmm. I was it, it, it's worse maybe than uh, being a waitress yeah mm-hmm. yeah. and so I, th- I thought I have, to, I have to redirect myself and she was like well I'm going to nursing school and I kept thinking that's such to me that was such an inspiration and such an important thing to be mm-hmm. able to say even though I spent all this money on grad school even though oh, I yeah. know I'm a poet right. even though
1: yeah.
0: what, I, what I have to do is to find a way to survive in the world and that was really important to me now so,
1: you know. so how
0: did you do it? I said, get everything, all academia. I turned down all teaching jobs and I, oh. and I started, uh, I started my own wedding business. So I started officiating weddings. Yeah. Writing people ceremonies. I still do it on the side. And then I was doing uh, freelance writing. I was doing website, social media, and I had the radio show, the poetry radio show. I still ha- had that. So that was my one poetry thing that I did every week over and over again. And then I had my baby, and I got a call. I went to see Alan Saldowski at, at San Jose State. And I said, oh, Alan, I'm never going to teach again. I'm never going to do academia again. Like, this is just not, it's not going to happen for me. And he says, you're going to get ha- headhunted. And I said, you're crazy. Alan, you're crazy. I got headhunted. A s- someone called me on a Sunday night and they're like are you Rochelle Escamilla I said yeah do you live in you know the Monterey Bay area I said yeah they said uh, we had a poetry teacher fall out and we need a teacher to teach on Wednesday night will you come and interview tomorrow morning
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh
0: that is wild. I turned to my husband and I was like oh, I know I said I was never going to do academia again
1: but where, where
0: is it uh, CSU Monterey Bay and, and I said well we ha-, he's like well we have $4 in our bank account so what are you going to do and I said, well, I guess I'm going to go. I took my baby to the interview. My baby had to go with me because I didn't have a babysitter. She's four months old, strolling her in the stroller, sitting there while I'm interviewing. And and I started teaching. That was last last semester, Wednesday nights. And and it's a real gig. It's a real gig. It's creative writing and social I, action. I know. Yeah. That's a
1: great program. Yeah. I, uh, I went there... Um, I would say, uh, oh, man, was it 15 years ago, 20 years ago? How old is the program? Uh, 1996. Yeah. yeah uh, so I went years. there, and was to God, with the way those kids, those young people talked, I thought I was at Yale in a seminar. I swear. Yeah. They were, like, smart and really <laughs> uh, interested. And, you know, they really, you know, the quality of the conversation, I thought, was... Uh, really superior well there it's a it's a it's a Latino serving
0: institution a lot of the students are first-generation college students but I think it's because they're part of the struggle toy like they yeah, they're part yeah that's, the that's
1: what I'm thinking that they're learning you know through their bodies and yeah. their, uh, everything I really uh, felt that the way they um, put together that program they really were thinking about humanitarian goals, and uh, I, I think it was even in terms of faculty yeah. that they were really thinking about. You know, that's a marvelous program, and. I think uh, I they wanted me to come out actually and, and be on a panel with them at AWP with mm-hmm. Deb and but um, it's hard it's hard it's hard to make it in the world as a poet and
0: to yeah. and to go to re- like I get called to go to readings in San Francisco we live about three hours away and I'm like we got to make sure we have money in the bank account we got to make sure you we line everything up got to call off out. work
2: sometimes yeah I got to call off work it's oh, like an overnight maybe
0: yeah so the scene is happening in California it has been for a long time but. It's starting to turn a little
1: more. It's a little more brown, finally. A little more what? Brown. As, as like a well, he was awesome. saying. He said, you know, I. He said, in order for anything to really change, there's going to have to be such pain. Yeah. And
0: suffering. Um, suffering. And unfortunately, it's going to be people in poverty and people on the bottom. You know, I, I, I have the other end, so I. I was reading, I've been reading a book by Angela Davis called Freedom is a Constant Struggle. And she talks about um, this need for us to reject individualism and look at things in a very collective way that all of our struggles, progressive, race, uh, poverty, any of the environmental, any of the struggles have to be considerate of um, the community. And one of the things I'm noticing is that even as we move forward in environmental changes, oftentimes the people who are poor are not considered, the, the impact on the poor is not considered in the movement towards environmental justice. And so it's this privilege, even, environment, even, even in the, this thing where we're trying to save these trees, the, the consideration of the people on the bottom is never even part of the conversation. And that this is like a, it, she says in her book that it's, we're doomed to fail. Environmentalism, progression, uh, struggles of race is all doomed to fail if we do not always find the point of intersection for all of them, which
1: is pretty deep. It's, it's true. <laughs> and um, and just uh, yesterday, you know, now with the um, the uh, American embassy in, in Jerusalem mm-hmm. and the Palestinians, you know, mm-hmm. are... You know, and they have nothing. I mean, nothing. if if, if, if uh, I have a, a friend who um, who uh, uh, went there and, and stayed for a while, and uh, she, she described the, the life of the Palestinians, you know, and, and how how they're treated, and and they have they have nothing, nothing. nothing. Yeah, and, nothing. Um, so there's it looks like you know, there 55 were killed yesterday. Jeez. You know, get right, protesting this yeah. this embassy, and where they're praising Trump. You know, blazing yeah. how Trump has done this when the other presidents, you know, wouldn't do this. Yeah. Wouldn't the soccer
2: team changed their name, I think, to have the word Trump in it, didn't they? You know, I
0: don't know the soccer team. An
2: Israeli soccer team.
0: Did yeah. they really? I wouldn't even that. It's yeah, it's it's a problem. I mean, these things are they're really. Impactful. I was just talking to Naomi about the big plastic bag ban in California, which felt on the surface like a success for environmentalism. But then the trickle down of it was that there was no incentivizing the people who are very poor, who, who don't have, who've never even seen a canvas bag, don't even know what a canvas bag, can't even afford a canvas bag. I said, you know, my family always reused plastic bags as lunch bags and clothing bags and yeah. bags for all these things, yeah. and all of a sudden they disappear yeah. and they cost $0.25 yeah. cents or $0.50 yeah. cents to yeah. buy. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so all of a sudden this environmental change impacts people in poverty on a level that nobody on the top would have ever imagined because they don't even see us. We're not even seen. We're the unseen masses, right? And so that's the kind of thing that's really terrifying to me as we move forward. You know,
1: in uh, in certain countries, uh, too, I, when I was in Africa, and I'm sure in Haiti and uh, uh, South American countries where they make things out of plastic bags, yeah. you know, yeah. that you, it's a really, it's a it, it's a resource. Yeah, yeah, well, that,
0: that's a good way, of, I never used the word resource, but it, it, it was a free resource. It was almost like a subsidized aspect, because we still have, you, you still, people can still buy boxes of garbage bags. And bags are still available. There are still Ziploc bags. there's still all these bags. But okay, the only, like yeah, but there's only no bags for <laughs> free for people who buy them from the grocery store. Which is, mm. buy things from the grocery store. Which is really weird, right? Weird to think about. It was weird to me. And it's hard to navigate those spaces because on the one hand, I'm talking to a lot of academics who are often often very much environmentalists, and, and, and rightfully so, and I, I am in, some, in, in many ways too, but, but then to say, like to look at my family and be like, oh, well, but what you're doing doesn't seem to make sense. Wait, you don't see us, <laughs> hey, what's going on? And to constantly be that person in between is really frustrating. And then people who are academics think I'm a conservative because I'll say things like, well, I don't know if that's, you know, important. And then you're just like, (sighs) (laughs) we were talking about that, right?
2: Yeah. Like with, even with like clothing, like there's so many people pointing out the unsustainability of fast fashion, the cheap materials, the cheap construction. Yeah. And the replacements for that, like companies like Everlane yeah. or other places that yeah. pay their workers well, they're made in America, they use quality materials, and they're not affordable. No. And they're not even affordable for me, and I have a decent job. Yeah. There's no way, but the way they talk about it is you can make an investment in a pair yeah. of pants that yeah. will last for years and not kill yeah. the planet if you're a good person who's good, who's morally good, or if you're a bad person, a dirty poor person, you'll keep buying cheap disposable clothes at Walmart, at wherever, at Target, mm-hmm. and you know, do your part to kill the planet, but you could choose to make an investment instead, and never thinking that somebody doesn't necessarily have $100 or 150 or $200 this week to spend on one pair of pants, right. just because it'll last them five or 10 years. That's, <laughs> right. there's just so much ignorance in that, so much, and I think it's willful. Because yeah. like, it's not that hard to wrap your head around the fact that to have enough money to plan to make more environmentally conscious choices is a luxury. It is a great
1: luxury. You know, uh, my family, as a matter of fact, when uh, I was I was saying that everybody needs therapy, everybody needs to go to therapy. You know, like emotions are a luxury. You know? Oh yeah. Like we don't have time to be thinking about it. Thinking about holding. Yeah. You go. Work two jobs. Cook for kids, survive,
2: survive, yeah. I was talking about that, like Maslow's hierarchy. That um, I feel like so much of the talk in the liberal academic um, upper middle class talk is around like the very tippy top, the self actualization. Like, who am I? What's my identity? How am I processing my past? Right, right. As if those things have really, really high stakes, but to get to that point where you can. Go to therapy and talk about your feelings with your child. Like, you got to hit all those other levels. Like, at the basics are like food and shelter and not being killed,
1: yeah, like,
2: human companionship. This and not then
1: too, and then I hate to say it, but when you have that generation, that mm-hmm. first generation, sometimes it takes what? another two generations to. And, I, I and now it looks like it. It, it just looks like. It, it, it's, it's going down. I don't know. And, you know, I
0: mean, the three of us in this room are like, we're at that point where we get to think about things like our emotions yeah. and therapy. And it's, yeah. it's beautiful for us and important. Yeah. And I used to feel guilty about it, but now I think our position is, is I, at least I try and teach this to my students, which is like, your position, once you have seen it, is to remember the people behind you First, before you look to the people in front of you. Like, you have to remember that you're the bridge because someone told me recently... That's always true. Yeah, and someone told me recently, like, don't you feel so successful? Like, why do you feel so ambiguous about your success and blah, blah, blah? And I said to him, I said, is it successful because I have... You know, 25 aunts and uncles. We're Mexican. We have a big old friggin' family. I have 25 aunts and uncles and lots of cousins, and yet I'm the only one who made it through and out in whatever way that is. So how is that success if, if I look like this one person ahead, but if I look behind me, there are 60 cousins or 15 cousins or whatever, however many, who are on drugs, who are living on the streets, who are mentally ill, who... Uh, you know, work four jobs and still live in a house with ten other people to survive in California. Like, how can I always feel success for that if what I feel successful is is, is my culture, well, my culture is still the same and I am only, like, this one representative of it. I
2: feel like it's if you're the only survivor of, like, a shipwreck. Yeah. How proud yeah. are you supposed to be of yourself? There's, like, a lot of sadness there, too. Like, yeah, you made it, but... It
1: had
2: been
1: better. And and you know, there's all kinds of questions
2: too. Like, if you made it instead of somebody else, mm-hmm. yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Did you crawl over? Yeah, did you crawl else? over? Did you kick someone back down the hatch, you know? But I want to ask Toy
0: like, how? I mean, you're you're outside of, you're you've your, you have you you have sort of gone through teaching and doing all this stuff in the poetry world. Like, how when you look back at your 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 career? Like, how do you feel? I mean, do you feel that sense of, like, pride and that sense of, like, I mean, should we embrace those things that, when we're moving forward?
1: Well, you know, I think when I see my individual students doing work, you know, like you're doing, I really do feel like it -hmm. wasn't for not no, that's really true. Yeah. Because that's uh, you know, I have a section of my book called "How the Obsessions of My Teachers Became My Obsessions." But I mean, I think that is that you that I wanted to I wanted to help my people. Mm-hmm. That is. Yeah. And then you, I do that in the same spirit as my people help me. That, you're supposed to pass it on. So when I see that happening, I feel that's the greatest thing. And I also feel that uh, it's sort of more in your hands now, because uh, I feel like you know, as the natural progression of things go, uh, I feel that this is a new world. It's a new, a new language poetry is speaking. It's a new. Uh, it's new problems you have to talk about and, and uh, find ways to uh, you know, embody in your poetry and, uh, and, I'm, and I'm really glad. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. So that, you know, fortunately I really was able to do the thing that I loved the most, which was write poetry and, and, uh, and be with other poets been very very lucky because poets poets are my community mm. you know that's my heaven mm. and uh, and listening to poems is my heaven mm. so I've been very lucky you know I I feel like uh, you know maybe some of the ways I got kicked around you know mm-hmm. the universe said well let me give you
0: Let me give you a break. Let me give you a break here. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I
1: feel. You You feel that too? Yeah, I do. I mean, mean, you can't... It's not really true, because then everybody would get a break. Yeah, but still... I feel
0: pretty lucky. I I do feel lucky. I do feel pretty lucky. I mean, especially, like, I think about... uh, We were just talking about... We were walking around to our old apartment building up the street, and saying how like we go back to these places and say did this happen did we live here did we do that and recently I was talking to someone and I said they said well like when did you start working what was your first job I said oh well I worked in the fields when I was
1: 10 and then
0: every summer and then I used to clean houses with my mom my mom would take me out of school and clean houses and they're like really and I'm like yeah, it was the 1980s. I guess it wasn't that long ago, but, and it feels like it was a whole lifetime ago that I was a seven year old kid wiping up, you know, people's tables and stuff. And it feels like it, it didn't exist for me because of where I am now. And I just, it's, I don't know. Well, tomorrow, part it's of crazy. your job,
1: part of your job, this is from your old teacher who, you know, wants you to write about it, your own experience. Part of your job is to get to the place where you remember what it felt like to do that and write about it, because it's in your body. Mm -hmm. And you know, you're so busy and you need to get away from it. And all of that happens for years. But at some point, you know, you'll, you'll start to remember again. And there's a lot to be said about that, because still, you know, those poems still haven't been written. No, they they haven't. That poem about the little seven-year-old going to clean house with her mom—I don't think I've read that.
0: Poem. No, no, it hasn't been written. You know, and part of it was because I feel—I felt like, not under your direction at Pitt or anywhere, but I felt—I feel like the landscape of poetry today asks us to be yeah, separated. No, but we
1: had—but we had this conversation years ago. Yeah, you're right. And so it's. Uh, it asks
0: us to be like separated from yeah. the self and separated yeah. from the romantic and yeah. separated from
1: Yeah. Yeah and but it does does. To... and what you've been doing, uh, as, as I understand it, is to because partly what our jobs are as poets is translation. You know, so I see you as, you know, sort of one foot in both worlds. And sort of figuring out how to translate take, that. yeah, take, translate that, and uh, it, you know, and it's too bad, you know, that it that feels like I can't, yeah, yeah it, it, that it's so hard because you can, but it's too bad that it's just, <laughs> so hard. and yet, I think too that part of the. Uh, gift of it is that it does make you, uh, it does create that kind of hardship that produces good work, good work. (laughs) I mean, when I think about that with the black notebooks, you know, that all the time I was trying to translate this personal experience through the consciousness of the people who were going to read it and, you know, how they were going to read what I was saying and how to get them to read it, you know, without what I knew was gonna be there to stop them from reading it. So it's sort of like how to how to, how to go around these barriers that you know very well exist and you you know what they are. So how do you how do you take them into account and still communicate what you need to communicate.
0: Because it's still important to communicate with people who wouldn't normally listen or see
1: you. Yeah. Right? That's right.
2: If you have a foot in both worlds, you're translating in multiple directions at once, which I think is hard. That's
1: a very good point. Exactly. Because because you're translating back, too. I mean, I, I'm thinking, for example, the black notebooks again, because uh... uh it's true. So many black people read it and said thank you, because this is the way I feel. Right. So you were. So I was speaking to uh, four, you know, people and two people, and I guess that's it. Like you're speaking four people and two people. Yeah. And so, uh, how do? You, how do you negotiate how that? How do you negotiate? it? Well, I hope it's helpful to your writing. Well, you know, it's because
0: there's a lot of conversations today about identity and writing about identity, yeah. right? Which we we've been talking about that for years. Yeah. But there's not a lot of conversation, and there's there's conversations about wanting to be inclusive, but there's not a lot of conversations about. Translating between cultures of poverty into cultures of academic—that's so a
1: really good point, girl. Yeah.
2: I don't know.
0: Naomi and I talk about it all the time, but I, I don't. We were
2: talking about it way back in grad school when. We were yeah, I remember ta- I talking about it too. We were yeah, about yeah. it. Who is poetry for? Is yeah. it only for the people who have been trained yeah. to access it? and is it the responsibility of the poet to, and then someone always brings up, are we dumbing it down for the masses Uh if we make it for everybody? Um, There's always that, like, question that won't die.
1: I don't know if you know about some of the vitality here in this city with poets, but uh, there's this bookstore called The White Whale, Mm-hmm. i heard that mm-hmm. on Liberty Avenue, and I went there the other day. And there's this whole group. There's all these groups of poets who are quote local poets, mm-hmm. and they're writing great poems. Mm. You know, I think, I think, as always in the world of poetry, there's this class system that exists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, local poets are maybe I don't know if they're going to breach that. Whatever that, the the hierarchy of poetry,
0: the 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 glass ceiling of sort of like
1: whatever. Which uh, but they do work, but they work. They work,
0: and they do work for.
1: Yeah, and they're writing really good poems, very energetic, and ones I don't hear in the academy.
2: Mm -mm. Everything sounds the, everything sounds the same from schools. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. This really is vital, and it's. Funny and it's and it's dealing with real shit, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. I think, well, you know, maybe this is where vitality is, you know. Uh, poetry in the streets. It might
0: be because um, one of the things I like about the program I'm teaching in is that because the students are usually first generation and college students, and they're from these very working class backgrounds, their work is really intense and if yeah. i and one of the things i work on is form right so i'm teaching yeah. them how form can exist and how it can be broken and it's as if it's as if it's a, this perfect combo of that sort of expansive form the the experimental form but with content that is so street that it's 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 existing oh. in this new world oh. like like what happens when what happens when a poem goes down a page? We know. We, we can we can understand the expectations. When a poem goes down the page and a student has a really, like, hardcore street story to tell that's really from the heart, and it goes down the page, and that's one, one thing. But what happens when that form explodes and it looks yeah. and acts differently and yeah. it has that really hard? Yeah. So all of a sudden these poor students yeah. from whatever... Yeah. Are doing work as yeah. prestigious yeah. as someone being published yeah. in whatever magazine right and so what does it matter what does it matter we just need them to tell their stories right we just need our stories to be told
1: I I don't know Well, you know I, 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 I mean some of it is the same question you know any writer asks, you know, what does it matter? No matter what you award or whatever. But um, I don't know girl. it's almost like you 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 work to take the system down and then as soon as it's down another system <laughs> comes up. Or comes you become... up just as bad. <laughs> you know, I I I don't know how to get I mean, it's that way of um, of um, of wanting to know how do you get to the real problem. I mean, how do you
2: how do you really make change
1: happen?
2: I don't know. I think with the way university systems are changing their teaching structures and the way you know you can no longer go into a poetry program and expect that you'll have a good paying poetry job on the other side of it with the collapse of so many print publications and the simultaneous like democratization of the internet and self-publishing and all that. Who's even to say what a life in poetry is going to look like in ten years and maybe to some extent it's asking the students to imagine and then make that future world because it may not I don't know.
1: I have some sort of uh... Craziness, uh, demented hope that poets will make a difference, if, you know, kind of way in what's going on in the world. But I have no idea. Well, I know, you know, the poets of Kabikana. They really they're doing all this. They're working with people. They're, oh yeah. Uh, so I think, well, maybe you know, they will really have, have an impact, not just in poetry, but in the real world. And and I think some of it is, um, as a teacher, it, it's not just about getting a job. It's it's empowering people who feel like they don't have power. I mean, yes. giving access to your voice and making what you say something real in the world yes. and important and listened to is a profound effect. Yeah. It is,
2: and that may shift to outside of the university system. Yeah, teaching and mentoring, and
1: I think it is. They uh, bought uh, some row houses. Mm -hmm. Did you know about this family?
2: I worked with someone who was part of that at one point.
1: Yeah, what, like in Bloomfield or
2: something? something? Some kind Mm -hmm. of um, community. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, they brought they bought cheap row houses, like thirty five thousand dollars or something, and uh, like about four or five poets and then they um made a garden that's nice. the um and they teach art there to the children in the neighborhood and um, they have a program now where they even have paid teachers come in during the summer nice. and it's in east liberty so that's neighborhood you know it's, it's, it's doing work um, yeah it's doing work and um and they they uh they commute they have readings uh and uh you know, they really try to make a community effort. Uh, I can't remember effort. what they call it. Yeah. Oh, Borland Gardens. Borland Gardens.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's the work that poets end up doing. I think, I think that, I guess it depends on whether you think someone is a poet by nature, or if they're a poet by nurture, or a little bit of both. But I think poets are naturally, we observe the world, and we're sensitive to the world, at least I'd hope so. And if we're sensitive and we observe the world, then we can find spaces where, I'm hoping that we, we can find spaces where we're needed. And that whatever expertise we have, even if it's just to show someone how to write their story, then, then that does work in itself. And so poets are changing the world in some senses.
2: Frustration is a really good motivator. Mm-hmm. Like feeling like you can't do what you need to do as an adjunct, maybe, or. Yeah. on working only one versus five
1: jobs. Well, they, they uh, in yeah. Pennsylvania, they uh, they had tried to change this law for adjuncts, and it
0: didn't work. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens, how the landscape of academics moves forward. I mean, there's a lot of things that are happening that I'm seeing shifting in California, even at the university. Um, so who knows? And you're right. What, how, how are we to know what the landscape of poetry is going to look like in 10 years? We started the program, I mean... We didn't know that we were going to come out and have to be a nurse and I was going to have to be a wedding officiant.
1: (laughs) I remember talking to you about your school bills.
0: (laughs) And you saying, you know, like... I was the only one who didn't get funding. I was the only one. So I was working three jobs. Being a nanny, being a preschool teacher, and then doing whatever gigs I can find on the side. But, you know, that's been my whole life, so it's fine. I have this one great writer, Peter Nathaniel Millay, he told me I wrote him this letter about being sad, about not being a teacher, whatever he said. <laughs> You've had such a rough life that, that, that you, you are what poets dream of having.
1: You have
0: enough stuff to write about for the rest of your life. You don't even have to worry. You have material. You have material. Have, yeah, you have yeah. material. <laughs> so like, who's going to read you
1: a poem? Nice. I'm going to read two poems. Yes, you okay, read. You, you. Okay, I'm going to read this. You read more than
0: two. You can read as no, I mean, many read poems. I'm going to read two, and
1: then I'm going to listen to you. Okay. Okay, this is what I'm just working on. Okay? For Emily. The two of us writing in silence how a mother to be the baby only hours away from its own birthday we brings me flowers from her yard daffodils that seem to hold a springy energy like a young girl's curls and roughly tulips the top of their petals clinched as if closing their coats up close to their necks april is more than half gone though outside the window flecks of snow fly like dandruff Light, drifting and blowing, some overcome by their weight, drop, evaporating, some make a soft woven blanket on the ground. I put a soft woven blanket on the ottoman, on which she raises her feet, and she has draped it over her legs, the way you calm a horse. I wish I could have loved like this forever, the way this morning, perhaps because yesterday I ate nearly half, half a carrot cake, a ton of cream cheese icing, and this morning when I turn my head even slightly something in my ear goes swish. And when I turn the other way, the other ear goes swish, so that I wonder if I'm uh, if it is a warning and I will suddenly drop dead from so much from too much sugar. Oh punishment, oh guilt. And perhaps the beta fish I wrote love poems for, my telly is swimming and flipping happily in my ear canals to tell me I will join him soon. It feels so wonderful to feel I couldn't feel love for so many years, as if I had turned off a spigot and nothing could bloom. This feeling is not a big love, not a love like that will make me raise Emily's children should she die in childbirth, or leave her all of my money, or even cook dinner and invite all her family and friends. But just that feeling it gave me when I took the light blanket out of the linen closet and put it out, and put the pillow in the seat so that she might scoot all the way back and be comfortable as she writes. Although her belly is so big, it looks like an exercise balls inside her. I put a woven blanket out, which she could wear if she got cold, and upon which she has now put her legs. And a part of me, not the swishy ear part, but the part more down, more down on the inside where everything is squishy. feels like a pond with lotus blossoms, white and pink, and dragonflies' green needles with wings of shining glass like a pond in my childhood that I remember as I'm writing. And I think of myself not as the child sitting on the edge, nor the one in this chair remembering, but as the thing itself, this hour's joy with every single moment. <laughs> That's so good. Uh, oh, I
0: love the beta fish in the air.
1: <laughs> Telly always has to come through.
0: <laughs> That's so good. Oh,
1: thank Aunt you. Toy. I just was working on
0: it today. I'll read you. Okay. Well, should we do a, a reading circle? Yeah. Okay. Um, so this is uh, part of a small collection called Space Junk from the Tiangong, which is the Chinese space station that has pieces falling onto the, just falling apart. So I live in a studio carved out of the back end of a garage in the middle of an organic farm, slightly above and to the west of the Pajaro River. Tonight, after dropping my Chinese student off at her place in downtown Monterey, I watched brake lights to a truck travel high into the mountain north of my home. Mm. I thought of you. Mm. Where do you live, Brighton? What do you have available to you?
1: Mm.
0: Someone lives up there. Someone owns access to that road. You and I don't. Mm. My student said that my crush on you is too philosophical, (laughs) that that if we were in a broom closet together, for example, the inevitable would happen. I told her that I'm not interested in having sex with you. Why do you want this then, she, she asks. I already know what sex with strangers is like. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I
1: love it. Wrong <laughs> road.
2: <laughs> I love that last
1: line. It's
0: true. <laughs> Why have sex with a stranger? You already know what that's like. It's awkward and weird. Why not just have a crush?
2: (laughs) This is uh, one that may or may not fit into the manuscript I'm working on now. Mm. It doesn't have a title. Mm. At some point, the harvest moon commands my eyes to pry the line of contrast. From the flat plains forms a calm adjacency, allegiance, like two sisters when they once were kids. Mm -hmm. At some point, sisters look like widows Mm. when their faces see each other's at a mound of dirt. A worm spring, slush wells up, and is the leech that saps the strength beneath us. Two sisters can predict that their two parents, every brother, we will see their stillness lie and be absorbed. At some point, to some, a moon means girl, and conjures blood to mind, and a life that ebbs in process with the full extent of things. Whatever. It's now October. The first smell of cardboard fires, prelude to the nights so we lose it all and soon.
1: Mm. Oh, mm. Ooh. Yeah. the
2: blood moon.
0: Yeah,
1: I don't know. I like that. Tell you what, you. And yeah, the out? last word was soon,
0: right? Mm, like monsoon. Or.
2: Your wordplay. Oh, your word. Plan for power,
0: your word plan. <laughs> you forgot my wordplay. <laughs> Let me see if I have. Do, do you want me to read one? Uh, I want awesome. you to read another, uh, at least two more.
1: Okay. Yep. Another one that's almost finished or one that's, uh, like, new?
0: Whatever you want to read, Toy. Oh, no. Whatever you want to yeah.
1: read.
2: What are you? It's funny to remember how much who you are is determined by who you're with, who's in the room
1: with you. Yeah, right.
2: Like, how shifting. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, and and I wonder, does that happen to you as a white person?
2: Well, I guess not in the same way. But sometimes, like, what I sound like my class background might be. I know that there's times when I, you would not guess how many years I went to school for because I speak so incorrectly. Um, And sometimes I'll, like, I let that really come out because I think it can put people at ease in certain situations. Yeah. And then other times I'm very conscious of not dropping any G's whatever, and I don't
0: want people to think I'm close, whatever. And so when I get really self-conscious about me, like, getting pulled over by cops or all this stuff, and my husband will remind me, he'll be like, yeah, but you just open your mouth, and they don't mess with you anymore. You look a certain way, but when you open your mouth and you speak, because I have authority, because my voice is educated... Then I'm left alone. So it's weird. You know, it's
1: so interesting too. Like, um, like, do some people choose early not to do that? Because I know when I was in New Orleans teaching, my mother and her um, her sister, when they moved north, they didn't have any accent. Mm. Mm. They sounded just like. White people, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but some people that stayed, black people who stayed in New Orleans, have a certain kind of twang speech, or yeah. speech, yeah. yeah okay, and it's beautiful, I love it, but it's very tellingly a certain class, a certain culture, and I, I, I so I wonder about that, and like these are the people who seem to me to want to stay with family, they they don't want to. Uh, move they don't want to move you know it's interesting as i get older i sort of combine my speeches more i don't get i don't i don't switch mm. i just sort of you make it all one language mm.
0: maybe it's cuz you over time you feel like you don't
1: have to anymore i don't want to because yeah. oh, okay. because you lose such richness when you Take away that ability to talk black or whatever it is. Yeah, you know. Um, you know. I guess we have to do as much as we can to be conscious. And Let
0: better. me read you one more poem from that manuscript.
1: <laughs> Let's hope this one gets published
0: someday. So, uh, is this, this is space junk from space junk. Uh, Dear Brighton but I love that title Space yeah. Jump from the Tiangong Yeah, I know It's a, it's a good title Is that and the title of the book? Yeah I love it Yeah, so the first half Is about me in China And the second half Is about me falling in love With a boy While I'm married You know So um, Dear Brighton It's 4am and I'm up We live in a cloud of production And your breath is product Should I pay, love? Is this common ownership your body in my phone, my words in your mouth. If I had more to give, you'd own it. But $357 and a gig on Saturday isn't enough for our communal desires. Two goats, a bit of land. You and he could harvest the fruit while I cook good, good food. But no. I could build an entire empire for you, Brighton embody the fire of my foremothers and create a kingdom for you. But then, even our dreams are oppressive. Mm. (laughs) It's all right, it's all worked out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I love that there's so many surprises in it. What the hell is the four mothers? Oh, wow. <laughs> four he mothers like four down. fathers? Like four fathers? Oh, you yeah, know yeah, yeah. Fathers. I said four. <laughs> yeah, well, that's I, heard it. Uh, <laughs> I <was> said, ooh, <laughs> four mothers. Man, yeah, she's just kind of like a divinity <laughs> <Yeah>. bird. <laughs> and then there's a kid. I that's 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 good that. Good yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. And then and then will you read one yeah. more and then we'll be done. Yeah. Kids,
2: the fish, the cats in the woods. They wear half-formed faces without mercy, insist on going forward, belly down in hose water. Later the man will say, we have to progress from this darkness. We have to achieve a more perfect darkness. And kids listen, move our hands to lift money off tables like magnets. The cats in the hall pile up. Father coaxes a garden of fish. The cat's only arms of a greater feral hip sit coming from under the hose. The cracking of the well. Who can discern the color of this carpet now? Mother in the hallway. The blood of my animal gaze. We won't age well. Forget it. Whatever slakes you drain it. Wherever you crawl, your body will find it. Oh, damn. damn. Oh. So maybe another one from... Oh, damn. You
0: on yeah, you need to send me that manuscript.
2: I'm working
0: on it. Send, send it to me so I can look at it. Yeah. This girl's got some stuff in her. Chilling.
1: Chilling, man.
0: Let you read one last poem? Yeah. Can I get The Weakness? Yeah, let me it there. I mean, you've probably read it a million times. Yeah, let's see if I... Okay. I would
1: feel incomplete if I didn't get you to read that poem. That time my grandmother dragged me through the perfume aisles at Saks. She held me up by my arm, hissing, Stand up! through clenched teeth, her eyes bright as a dog's cornered in the light. She said it over and over as if she were Jesus and I were dead. She had been solid as a tree, a fur around her neck, a light-skinned matron whose car was parked, who walked on swirling marble and passed through brass openings in 1945. There was not even a black elevator operator at Saks. The saleswoman had brought velvet leggings to lace me in and cooed as if in the service of all grandmothers. My grandmother had smiled, but not hungrily, not like my mother who hated them, but wanted to please. And they had smiled back as if they were wearing wooden collars. When my legs gave out, my grandmother dragged me up and held me like God holds saints by the roots of the hair. I begged her to believe I couldn't help it. Stumbling, her face white with sweat, she pushed me through the crowd rushing away from those eyes that saw through her clothes, under her skin, all the way down to the transparent jeans, confessing.
0: You're listening to KKUP Cupertino, 91.5 FM here in the Bay Area and beyond the Bay at KKUP.org. That was Toy Derricott and Naomi Edwards and myself um, in Toy's apartment in downtown, actually not in downtown, in Oakland, in in Pittsburgh. Um, I'm so unbelievably fortunate to have recorded Toy's work, but also to have been her student and to be able to be so... uh, just get so much from her. Uh, so KKUP Cupertino 91.5 FM is non-commercial radio staffed completely by volunteers and supported 100% by our listeners. We have provided an alternate source for music and information not readily available on other stations for over 40 years. By maintaining a separation from corporate corporate backing, underwriting, or any other source of funding that might place demands on our programming, we're free to entertain and educate the listening community in a unique way. Every day we offer music ranging from comical to classical, reggae to barbershop, new age to oldies, and not to mention our amazing poetry radio show. If you find this station worth supporting, please become a member. You can do that online or you can give me a call here at the studio. The number is 408-260-2999 or 831-480-1999. Uh, If you're listening online, you can click become a member and consider supporting KKUP. This weekend, we're going to have a psychedelic marathon. And, um, you know, if you listen in, there's gonna be lots of psychedelic music, and then we'll see how it goes. And you can become a member this weekend. And there'll be uh, prizes and lots of other stuff available. So uh, thanks for listening. This has been Poetry Radio. I'm Poetita. I'm going to play you out with some music and then you'll have some uh, more music and more amazing things here on KKUP. So keep listening. I'll be back on July 4th.